from our text, and we sang it already, didn't we? We sang Psalm 24, but now we're going to read it. So the 24th Psalm, and we'll read all 10 verses. Psalm number 24, the earth is the Lord's. Thank you. And the fullness thereof. So what, what, what does that leave out? The earth is the Lord's, Danny, and its fullness. You know, the fullness thereof. The world, the entire world, and they that dwell therein. Everybody. Uh, animals, plants, uh, stars, moon, cloud. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is, mankind, it's all the Lord's, all the, all the land. And there's people in this room that have deeds and titles to things. Yeah, but God owns it all. Uh, yeah, he's, he's just put it in our hands for a little while. It'll pass on to somebody else, but it'll always be his. Verse 2 says, for he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods, that is the earth. Who shall ascend... Here's a question for you. I mean, this this is probably, I mean, I don't know how many questions you think you get in a day at school, Danny. Quite a few questions come to you, don't they? Just from your schoolwork, right? Uh, quizzes, tests, uh, discussion in class, lectures that are given. Uh, this, this would be the most important question that you could answer, that you could be asked. This one. Yeah. And the battery too. We're 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 having fun today with. It's really my fault. I'll be honest with you, because I'm I'm trying to improve the um, audio on the phone for those that can't come. Like Sister Betty this morning, she didn't feel well, and so for her to be able to hear, um, it was all the way to that phone was a distance for my voice to project. So we're trying to get the wireless microphone to feed directly into it so that it's better on the live broadcast. So um, what's happening right now, though, for people that are on that is they can't hear anything. <laughs> They've got it back there replacing things. So anyway, but I've caused all the confusion today. <laughs> you may leave it here in case you've got to adjust it. Okay. All right. Important question. That's where I was, right? Okay. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who's, who's going to be able to go there? What are we talking about? We're talking about God's presence. We're talking about where, where God sits upon his throne. We're talking about there in, 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 in the, if we wanted to say a physical thing, it'd be like in the temple. And to be able to go here, not just the temple, though. We're going to go beyond that. Yeah. Teresa messed me up this morning. She closed them curtains. I had them open because the temple veil, you know, was rent open. And, and the, the holy of holies, you know, was, was, was exposed, you know. So who's going to ascend into the hill of the Lord? I thought about later when I got to that part of the message, I was going to walk back there and you know, fling them open, but I might tear it off the wall. I don't know. So we'll not do that. We'll not do that. Uh, or who shall stand 
Now, this is the thing Brother JT was talking to us about this morning, about God's holiness, right? Who's going to stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord. You might remember we were singing that earlier. And righteousness from the God of his salvation this is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face. Who, who's who's going to seek him? It's those who are concerned about the questions that we were just asking. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in, in, the, in, in his presence? This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads. This is the climax of this psalm. Um. I've, I've never sat through a production or, um, of, of Handel's Messiah. Has anybody ever gone to, see, to, to sit there and, and, and hear Handel's Messiah? You know, there's a, there's a part where the, the first time that that, was, that, that that ever happened, and King George, I can't remember, help me out, Cohen, what, second? Yeah. A lot of Henrys, too. <clears throat> but I think it was King George II. He was so moved by what was what was being sung in regard in, in, about the Messiah, about Christ, that he stood up, and so it became that became something of a tradition. I guess when that would happen, everyone, you know, would stand. Now, when Queen Elizabeth, when when she comes on the scene, they told her that all the people will stand during that part, but you. You have to remain seated. You're supposed to remain seated. You're not going to tell the queen what she has to do. But she was supposed, etiquette, you know, she was supposed to remain seated. She was so moved. She sat there as long as she could, and she couldn't stand it any longer. She had to stand um, because of the, the praise and the adoration, you know, for our Lord. But, you know, this, this last part here, lift up your heads. O ye gates, and be lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. I think it was the National Cathedral when we were in Washington, D.C., looking at all the sites. And upon one of the wooden doors, that verse is engraved. Um, who is this King of glory? So you can see there's somewhat of a back and forth. I almost got with one of the young men or all the young men this morning, but we've had so much trouble uh, with the audio-video part of things that, that I, I didn't. But I almost got with them to where when I read, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in, that I would have Cohen and Danny and Andrew read the next part, who is this King of glory? And then I would read the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And then they would say, Who is this King of glory? And the answer would be, The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Jerry, would you pray for us?
on the face of this earth belongs to you. Mm-hmm. We pray, Father, that we might be thankful for what you've been given unto us and provided for us, Father, for we know that you are the owner of every single word, every single element, every single whatever might come along, Father. Yes. Amen. You may be seated. So you've you've already heard Brother JT speak this morning about um, walking around his property and the trees that that he's seen down by the the creek side, and talking about that tree being there to glorify God. Everything around us. You know, the birds, I can remember I used to walk from the parsonage just a little ways over here. You know, every Sunday morning I'd, I'd walk down here. And there was lots of mornings that on that high wire out there, there'd be birds, you know, just chirping away, singing away. And they're singing to the glory of God. They're doing what God has created them to do. Man, because of sin, does not Give God the glory that is due unto his name that ought to be coming from every single one of us as we look at every tree, every leaf, every blade of grass, every animal that walks, you know, by us or flies by us or swims in front of us. We ought to glorify, you know, God on behalf of those things. I can't tell you how many times it's happened to me that I've gone to a grocery store, I've gone to a mall, or we've been on vacation somewhere where there's a larger gathering of people, and I look at those people, and they may have tattoos from one end to the other. Their lives may be a total train wreck, but that's a soul. Every single one belongs to God. That is an eternal soul that will spend eternity somewhere in heaven or hell Um, so as we look at this psalm it can be broken up into three parts the the first doubtless glorifies god he is the sovereign creator of the entire universe everything belongs unto him so here i stand sister delina and once again I have forgotten to send. 
if you go sit by Sister Pat, she has it in printed form. So last week they got it and you didn't. This week you got it and they didn't. That's, uh, but um, the first part glorifies God who is absolutely. Now, it's, it's just like Sister Joyce was telling me this morning. She lost her post office box key. Now, you're going to say that this is trivial. But I tell you, at 91 years old, the Lord is using a lost post office box key in Sister Joyce's life. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. Now, for us, we, we, we think about that and we think, well, how in the world could the Lord use? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Can, can he not? He can use a king. He can use a post office box key. It doesn't make any difference. He's going to get the glory. Without a doubt. And he said, he's promised in his word that he'll cause all things to work together for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. You know, so if you belong to him, you count on it, Danny. You, you lose your textbook. You know, here, here was what I had trouble with. I used to have, I guess you'd call them a nightmare. You know, I was such a nervous kid. I would, I would dream about forgetting my locker combination and being late to class. Yeah. Um, so the Lord uses all those things in our lives. And, and you, may, you may look all around you and you may see the sad state that our world is in. But I assure you, God is in control of it all. We may not be able to understand it. I promise you, Job couldn't understand it. He didn't, he didn't have the narrative that we're able to read about his life as he was going through those things. He suffered much. And I don't doubt that the people who were his supposed friends, who he said were miserable comforters, who were continually telling him that if he'd stopped committing whatever sin it was that he was committing, that God would stop all that that was happening. But we find out in the very beginning of the book that this is a righteous man, and it wasn't because of anything that he had done that these things were brought upon him. So don't, don't let the devil, just like Job's friends, I'm sure Job w- was listening to them continually saying, it's because of something you're doing, something you're doing, something you're doing. It's some sin you're committing. If you just repent of that sin, then all this would go away. And the devil would tell you that all the things that are happening in this world, there's no way God could be in control of the things that are happening. There, there's some of the awful things that are happening right now, God couldn't be allowing those things. I assure you. God is in control. And, and people say, well, why do we have these things happen? Sin. Sin is the reason these things are happening. Well, why is there war? Sin. Why is there death? Sin. Even death from supposed natural causes, not from war. You know, but there's death. The wages of sin is death, right? So the first part, glorifies God who is in absolute dominion over all things. The second describes those who are able to commune with him. And the third part pictures the ascent. It's a psalm of ascent. It's a psalm of ascension. You know, the, the disciples watched as, as the Lord was caught up in the clouds of the sky 
And, and they continued to look, you remember, and the angels said, why you men of Galilee stare up into the, into the heavens? This same Jesus, he's going to come back the same way that you see him depart. But he's ascended into heaven. So it is an ascent of the true redeemer who has opened, listen to me, who has opened heaven's gates. Think about that. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting door. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? How? How would we ever? I mean, Jacob saw that ladder and angels ascending and descending, but he didn't, he didn't run over there and try to climb it himself. I mean, how, how are you going to get up there? How are you going to get to heaven? Who shall ascend? Who shall stand? Well, the only way that we can, Danny, is because the Lord has come. And he has, he, God manifest in the flesh, and he lived, and he died, and he took upon himself our sin, and he gave unto us his righteousness. He died and rose again the third day, and he ascended into heaven after he'd appeared to the disciples for, correct me if I'm wrong, Brother JT, I think it's 40 days, wasn't it? Yeah. He ascends into heaven. He opened the way, is what the psalmist is telling us. He opened the way for us. You never would have been able to open that door. I mean, I, well, I'm, I'm going to use you, Sister Shelby. There was that house that, we, that, that you cleaned that was just right down the road. I can't remember the name of the lady or the, or the road that it was on, but they were iron doors. And they had to be put together by hand on the job site. They weren't just delivered, all put together. They had to be put together by hand. They were so heavy. <clears throat> that Sister Shelby called me one day while she was cleaning, and she said, I can't get this door open. But you had to really push on it to get it to open. It was a really heavy iron door. Well, these gates, we would, we would never have been able to force our way into them. Heaven's gates, we'd never have been able to force our way in. We'd never have been able to open that door. The Lord made a way where there was no way, where there was no way. So that's in general what we have. And we'll, we'll get into it a, a little more you know, particular. But we begin in the first part with the glory of God, who is the sovereign creator and owner of all things. I bought this shirt yesterday. It's the, the, the Lord's what... He's the one caused the things to grow and to be produced, to be able to make this thing, gave me the money to be able to go to the store and buy it, gave me a vehicle to be able to get there, you know, gave me two arms to be able to put in the sleeves. You know, it, it's all his. It belongs to him. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm to do all that I do, whether I eat or I drink or whatsoever I do, I'm to do all that I do to the glory of God. Can you, can you wear a shirt and glorify God in wearing that shirt? You certainly can wear, I've, I've seen in front of Andrew, you know, I, I felt sorry for him at time. We pull up into a convenience store and here comes this girl. She's, she's missing, I would say 80% of her pants. <laughs> and I told Andrew, I said, I feel sorry for that young lady. She can't afford a whole pair of pants, <laughs> you know. You can certainly wear pants that don't glorify God, right? Um, so we are to glorify the Lord in all that we do, in all that we do. 
So there's that question that I've told you before that Brother Mark LaCour has often asked people who've come to him and they've said, I've prayed about this. Should I do this? I, I just, I don't know. I can't find anything in scripture that tells me that I can't do it. Should I do it? And his response, anybody tell me? Can you do it and glorify the Lord? Because that's the answer, isn't it? We're to do all that we do to the glory of God. I know I say that to you. I'm just trying to remind you of it. I mean, you, you were able to repeat it back to me. You've heard it before. It's important. Everything that we do, we are to do to the glory. The way that we speak, the way that we act. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm still a young man by some of your standards. We've got people in their 80s, 70s, 80s, and 90s here. There's been times that my dad has put his hand upon my hand. And immediately I knew, you know, because he could see I was getting upset about something. And that was all it took. You know, um, I told Lydia he didn't do that yesterday. I was aggravated yesterday. I was trying to get home. I don't normally have to do anything on Saturday but study. But I had to go to a job site. And I thought it was going to be quick, get there back. And it was 1 o'clock and I still wasn't home. And I wanted to be in my study. And so I flew into their house to pick up a vacuum cleaner that had been bought for the church, you know. And I didn't even, I hardly said two words to you, Mom, you know, come in there. And, and even, you know, Dad came out and took some stuff out of my truck that I needed to unload. And I don't even think I looked at Ricky. He was walking behind me, my brother. I was, I was, I was ready to get in that truck and get back here um, so I could get in my study. But... Um, the Lord's in control of those things. Uh, I, I, I think I need to spend, you know, eight or 10 or 12 hours, you know, in my study. Well, guess what? You know, the, the, the Lord may change that. He, he may only give me 30 minutes, but he can give me more than 30 minutes that I could glean in 12 hours, you know. So we just need to trust him, don't we? The heavens, Psalm 19, one says, declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. It's, it's, all out, it's on display. Um, God is displaying his wares all around us all the time. Psalm 96 verse, or 97 verse 6 rather, the heavens declare, listen, his righteousness. So the first thing we said was they declared the glory of God. In Psalm 97 6 it says they declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All the people see his glory. Kind of reminds us of Romans 1, doesn't it? A little bit. As we start out here in the beginning of this psalm, and it's talking about the creator who owns the ends of the earth. It all belongs to him. And he's displaying all this for his glory. For his glory. And then you have those in Romans chapter 1, who it talks about in verse number 18, the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it to them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Not one of them will be able to stand before God on the day of judgment and say, I did not know. All are guilty before God. 
The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all that dwell therein. He has absolute dominion. Men want to speak of free will. You ever seen one that's been able to control the day of his birth or the day of his death? How much free will does a man have? Cohen, you and Danny and Andrew have been looking at that in y'all's Bible study, haven't you? None have dominion over the day of their birth or the day of their death. Such power belongs to God alone. Listen to what Ecclesiastes 8.8 says. There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. I'm not going to die. You're going to die. It's not a matter of if, right? It's a matter of when. And, and that when, God already knows. God knows that when. He knows that day. Deuteronomy 10.14 says, Behold the heaven and the heaven of heavens. I mean, that which we can't see without some sort of an aid, and even beyond that, is the Lord's. The earth also and all that therein is. So God rules and God reigns. Now that's, that troubles some people. That bothers some people. But for those who are his... There's comfort, and there's peace, and there's rest, and there's an assurance that God is in control. We, we, we sing that hymn, this is my father's world. This is my father's world. Let me never forget. Let me never forget. This is my father's world. The psalmist is reminding us that this is God's world. That though the wrong seems often so strong, he is the ruler. Yet, even so, he's still the ruler. There's another verse of that hymn that we don't have in our hymn books, but I like. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. I don't know who's responsible for leaving that one out, but they shouldn't have. I mean, we've got other hymns that are seven, eight, you know, stanzas long. While they left that out, I don't know. But man foolishly believes that he is running things. You remember Nebuchadnezzar? Look at this great Babylon that I have built. He was glorying in what he had done. Yeah. God... God changed that, didn't he? God changed his tune upon that, didn't he? In Daniel 4.35, it says, Nebuchadnezzar says this, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he, that is God, doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none, none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Shall Shall the, the, the clay or the pot respond to the potter? Say, what are you doing? No, God does as he pleases. Among the inhabitants of the earth and in the heavens above. So Nebuchadnezzar was saying, look at what I've done. But it doesn't belong to kings. It all belongs to God doesn't belong to kings. doesn't belong to governments of this world. It all belongs to God. 
He is ruling. He is reigning. And there is no one who is going to. Satan tried, didn't he? I'll become like the Most High. He was going to pull God down off his throne. You know, he, 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 he made a good stab you know, in the garden, didn't he? Uh, he? He thought he was going to make some headway there. He's going to ruin all of creation. But you know, when we talk about this all belonging to God, it's twice his. He made it to begin with, and he has redeemed it. He's redeemed fallen man. And you talk about glory. There's going to be a glory to come. A glory to fall. We just have the earnest of our inheritance. A glory is coming. Psalm 135 verse 1 says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the name of the Lord. Praise him, O you servants of the Lord. Ye that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Who, who's going to say that? Except those who belong to him. Sing praises unto his name. We sought to do that this morning, didn't we? For it is pleasant. It is. Isn't it pleasant to sing about the Lord? To sing glory unto his name? For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth in the seas, and all the deep places. That's what verse 2 says, isn't it? He says, verse 2 says, he, found, he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. You remember when Job has to answer God or is called to answer God in the end? In Job 38, verse number 4, the Lord asked Job this question, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I did that? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? I mean, think about the earth, right? I mean, here's our planet and all the planets. I mean, there they are. There's no pillar holding them up. There, there, there's no column there, there, there's no line. They're suspended in space. God does that. God does that. Who laid the cornerstone thereof when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud the garment thereof and thick darkness a swaddling band, sorry, a swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place and set bars and doors. I mean, doesn't scripture tell us that God He He opens doors that no man can close, and He closes doors that no man can open? He said unto the waves, Hither shalt thou come, but no further. And here shall thy proud waves be stayed. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days and caused the day spring to know its place? I mean, the sun's risen every single day. And God decreed that it would, it would run its circuit, right? Every day. 
And if it stood still, God did that, didn't he? God did that. Hmm? Hmm? He says that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked might be shaken out of it. It is turned as clay to the seal and they stand as a garment and from the wicked their light is withholden and the high arm shall be broken. Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea? I mean, I, I don't know. Can you tell me, Cohen, have we reached every, the, the deepest parts yet? Not yet. <laughs> and we know we haven't gone to the deepest part of space but think about the ocean I mean, we haven't even we haven't even sounded out all of that I mean a plane goes down in the ocean and they set up grid patterns and search and search and search and search and you're like how can you not find the plane I mean, it's a, not a little plane. It's a big plane. How can you not find that? That's how vast the ocean is. That's how great and glorious our God is. Have the gates of death been opened unto thee? Or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? Hast thou perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare if thou knowest it all. God does. He knows it all. Every bit of it. It's incredible to think about all these things and the foundations of the earth and such. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. I mean, we've been talking about the visible things, but the invisible things too, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. He sets up kings. He removes kings. All things were created by him and for him. Excuse me. <clears throat> and he is before all things. And by him all things consist. When you think about the earth being suspended where it is, it's there and it continues to rotate upon its axis because God has said so. You know, God didn't just take it like a top. You know, we were kids. Some of us are old enough to remember playing with a top. And you'd spin that thing, and eventually it runs out of juice, runs out of momentum. God's caused the earth to continue and to continue. And it's not going to stop until God says, that's it. It's over. By him all things consist. Even this, I've used this as an example before, this pulpit, this piece of wood, the atoms and things that are within it, they're held together by the word of God. Now, the world doesn't want to think about that because then they're responsible to God. But I like to think about it. God holds all these things. All these things consist because of him. So that you get to Revelation 4.11 and we're told, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We sang that hymn, Behold our God, who hath held the, the oceans in his hands. Isn't that not something? Who's numbered every grain of sand? Incredible. All the stars of heaven that, 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 and, the, and the sand by the sea, that we can't number those things. God knows the number. Every hair upon your head, he knows the number of these things. 
Who can make such declarations? I mean, that would be some kind of a boast, wouldn't it? Uh, even, even if we could take Sister Delina and, and, and calculate the shoreline and take a cup of sand and you know, figure the depth out and the width and the breadth and, the, and say, well, this is how many grains of sand. We'd still be wrong. God knows. Isaiah 40 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. It says he stretches out the heavens like a curtain. He spreads them out as a tent to dwell in. That bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom will you liken me? God says, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Isn't that incredible to think about? Those who put their faith and trust in Christ alone have a foundation. If, if you're in Christ, you have a foundation. I mean, the world's building their house upon the sand. The, 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 the rain's going to come, and the floods are going to come, and the wind's going to beat up on the house, and the Scripture says that the fall of that house will be what? Great. Great shall be the fall thereof. But those who built their house upon the rock. You have a foundation. The rains can come. The floods can come. The wind can blow. But the house that's built upon the rock will stand firm. Will stand firm. The eternal, immovable, unchangeable, unshakable rock of ages. That's the rock upon which we stand. We, all, all other ground we sing, don't we, is what? Sinking sand, isn't it? Sinking sand. Well, verse 3 says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? That's an enormous question. You think about big questions. That's a big one. You know, people talk about, they're going to propose, and they're going to pop the question. You know, It's the vernacular that's been used and days gone by, I don't know what they say today, but, but uh, that's a big question to some people. Will you marry me? There's bigger questions than that. It's right here in front of us. An enormous question of eternal importance is found here. Who will come before him? appear and stand in his presence. Brother JT set the stage for us this morning already. I mean, you talk about the glory of God. You talk about the holiness of God. You talk about something that you would not be able to... We know what it's like to build a fire, you know, on our properties and burn things, and, and you can't get close. When it, when it gets raging, you can't get close. It's too hot. You, you, you can't get in there. 
you, you, you can try to set something in front of you to kind of shield it and get a little closer, a little closer to throw something else on it, you know, when it's really big fire. But you know what that feels like. You know the heat from it. I mean, just zaps all the moisture, it seems, right out of you. Your face begins to feel like leather almost just right away. We know what it's like in some, stand against a wave. You know, we've, we've, we've done that before as kids. If you went when you were little to the ocean and the waves are coming in, you thought, I'm not going to let this wave, you know, push me around and push me over. And here it comes and just takes you out, you know. Um, we know what it's like to stand before some of those things. Can you imagine standing in the frame that we are in right now? In the flesh. Can you imagine trying to stand in the presence of God? I mean, John fell at his feet as dead, right? Brother JT told us about, you know, there in Isaiah 6 and, and, and the train filling the temple. And, and, and there you have Isaiah saying, in the presence of this holiness, I'm a man of unclean lips dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Um, you see, after, <clears throat> after the Lord, after Jesus, he, 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 he calms the storm. You know, after, after he tells them to let down their nets, you know, for a catch. And what does Peter do? He comes and he falls before the Lord's feet and he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. He couldn't stand it. Depart from me for I am a sinful man. Lord, I, I, I'm not worthy. And you hear you, John the Baptist, me baptize you? I, I'm not even worthy to unbuckle your shoes. How about Uzzah, when the ark was brought from Obed-Edom, from the place that it had been, and David was bringing it back to, you know, Jerusalem? I mean, the ark was not being carried, first of all, by the Kohathites like it was supposed to be. It was in a cart just like, like the, the Philistines had sent it back to, to the Jews in. But you remember Uzzah, Right? The ark hits a place, starts to become unsettled. He thought it was going to fall, and he stretches forth his hand to steady the ark. And God strikes him dead right there. God is holy, and we are not. Uh, what was it R.C. Sproul said? It had been better if the ark had fallen out of the cart and hit the dirt because that was cleaner than Uzzah's hand, you know. In the presence of the holiness of God, this is the response, unclean. Who can stand before the thrice holy among sinful men? Who could ever think to approach him? How could we ever appear before him and moreover commune with him apart from Christ? We couldn't. We wouldn't be able to. Apart from Christ becoming our righteousness and us having a standing before God, we wouldn't have been able to. It is Christ in you that is what? The hope of glory, right? Who shall ascend? Who shall open the way for us? Who shall stand in his holy place? You know, the high priest could only come once a year. 
into the Holy of Holies. He didn't just get to go in there whenever he want, wanted. I mean, God told Moses to tell Aaron, don't let Aaron think he can come in here anytime he wants. When you come, you better come the right way. And the right, the right garments, right? Holy linen uh, he was to put on. And he better not come without what? Blood. Better not come without blood. Without a sacrifice. Not without the prescribed holy garments. Not without being washed. Can you see the picture? Can you understand the illustration? Can you see the gospel there? Uh, just, I don't know, I made me think about it. My Aunt Martha's funeral. So for the first time, not that y'all wouldn't have said it, but for the first time, someone that was there that I didn't think that I knew, that I knew somebody that, that they were related to, but it's the first time in all the funerals that I've preached that someone walked up to me and said, thank you for preaching the gospel. I've been told by funeral directors that it's not the place to preach the gospel, but someone actually came up to me and thanked me for preaching the gospel. Um, but we see the gospel here. We see our need of Christ. We see our great need of Christ. We can't ascend. We can't stand any more than Aaron could have come into the Holy of Holies without those things being so. We'd be, we'd be stricken dead just like Uzzah. I can't imagine the glory that must have... I mean, that, that veil was there. Can you imagine the glory that was behind that curtain? Imagine how fearful it must have been for the high priest to walk in the presence of that even though he was allowed. God allowed him to come in there in a prescribed way, in a right manner. He could come in, but only once a year. It's hard to even imagine. You know, it's, it's really kind of akin, these things that we're talking about, who shall stand, who shall ascend. It's kind of akin to that place that you so often have brought up, Mom, in Revelation 5, you know, who's worthy to open the scroll, right? Who, I mean, when you, when you read John's account, it, it, it says that he wept much. It says, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And then one of the elders said unto him, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. There's the picture to me of these the gates be lifted up. You know, doors swing wide open that the king of glory, you know, would, would come in. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Prevailed on our behalf. Prevailed on our behalf. He's our standing. He's our standing before God. He's our mediator before God. He's our acceptance before God. He's our propitiation. He's absorbed all the wrath of God that, was, that would have been ours and has given unto us his righteousness to wear. I mean, it is such a standing that when God looks upon you, he sees his son. A righteousness that's acceptable in his sight. He's prevailed on our behalf where no one else 
would have been able to prevail? How can I stand in God's holy place? How can I come before a holy God? I mentioned that clip um, last week of Alistair Begg and the thief on the cross. I, I, I saw after we had finished eating, some of the young people were back here and they were watching it you know, on the, somebody's phone. But um, you remember the question that the angel supposedly asked the thief, who told you that you could come here? And he said, the man beside me on the middle cross said I could come. He who spoke the worlds into existence, who became flesh and dwelt among us for the purpose of redemption in giving himself on the cross to become sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Having laid down his life for the sheep, he died and rose again, leading captivity captive. And scripture says, bringing many sons to glory. Many sons to glory. Many, many to that place where we would not have been able to stand, where Aaron could only stand once a year, but we're going to be able to dwell there forevermore. I mean, let that sink in. You're going to dwell in the presence of the Almighty God, in the presence of the holiness of God. You're going to have a glorified body that's going to be able to stand. In this frame, we would not be able to, but in that glorified body, Scripture says that we'll see him face to face, that we'll see him as he is. We'll see him upon his throne. Who shall enter in? Those who have come to believe upon his name, to repent of their sins, to trust in Christ. These are the ones whose hands have been made clean. These are the ones whose hearts have been made pure. I, I know we still struggle with sin. You understand that. I'm not saying that you're perfect, but you're already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Bible plainly tells us that. There's a place reserved in heaven for you. There's a crown that will only fit your head and not somebody else's. That Christ has won on your behalf. Clean hands and a pure heart. Have you not been changed? Hmm? Those of you who are concerned about who shall ascend, those of you who are concerned about who shall stand in the holy place, have you not been changed? Have you not been given a new heart? Do you not desire that your hands be clean? I'm not talking about washing them with soap and water. My mom made me do that over and over and over again as, I, as a kid uh, because she thought, that I had dirt on my hands. I'd already washed them. They was freckles. Yeah. And she kept sending me in there to wash my hands. And I'm thinking, boy, she's got some good vision because I can't see any dirt. You know? um, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about the righteousness of Christ that is ours. Being washed in the blood of the lamb, white as snow. New heart, renewed minds. How could we approach God otherwise? But as it is in Christ, you, be, you, you come what? Boldly before the throne. Boldly before the throne of grace. And not only that, but you obtain mercy. It's not that you might get mercy. You obtain mercy. 
You've come boldly before the throne and you obtain mercy and help in time of need. I was thinking about where, where, where we are. I mean, those of us who are in Christ, where you are, where, that, that you know him. What, what an incredible thing. There, there's nothing greater. Wouldn't trade it for all the riches in the world. The rich young ruler wasn't able to make that exchange. And we wouldn't have been able to make it apart from the grace of God. But I think about the hymn that says, Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come to the bread of life? Who shall ascend? Who shall stand? Are these questions of concern to you? They're of concern to me. They are of immense importance to those who desire to be right in the sight of God. Otherwise, you have no concern for the questions at all. Take it or leave it. I'll go back again to Alistair Begg's imagined narrative between the thief on the cross and the angel. He said this. This is actually at Baylor University. I was surprised especially when I saw the other speakers who spoke with him. He says, if you answered the question when the angel says, what reason do you have for being here? If you answered that question in the first person, you've immediately gone wrong. If you say, because I. Because I believe, because I have faith, because I am this, because I'm continuing. He said, the only proper answer is in the third person because he because the man on the middle cross said I could come because he what he's done who he is that's the only answer he says he goes on to say if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day every day then I find myself beginning to trust myself to trust my experience which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can only give lip service to its efficacy while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. Doesn't. It's because of him. Who shall ascend? Who shall stand? No more important questions that we could ever be asked to consider because they lead us to the gospel and our need of Christ because we don't have clean hands and apart from him and we don't have pure hearts apart from him. I mean, the scripture talks about the poison of, of, of ass being, you know, under our, our tongues and, and, and our, our throats being an open sepulcher that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Are you walking with God? As I first began to look at this text that I'm trying to get through, I'm not pushing to get through, but I'm trying to get through. Um, but as I began looking at this, I came across, and if any, I sent it to a couple of people. Sister Shelby, I sent it to you, and I think I sent it to my mom. 
it was just because we saw each other, you know, during the week. Um, but um, Duncan Campbell, is that a name familiar to anybody? Well, I know you probably listened to it, <laughs> and I told Dad about it in the truck. But um, the revival upon the Isle of Lewis is what that is. That name rings a bell for most people. Um, in the very beginning of it. I mean, he, he went to the Isle of Lewis at an invitation from ministers there for 10 days. He ended up staying for, how long was it? Three years, wasn't it? I think, it's, is that right, three years? Can you imagine that? You're going to go for a 10-day speaking engagement, and you end up staying there for three years. And people used to say to him, well, you know, We'd like for you to come because you're the reason for that revival. He said, I'm not. He said, I don't carry a revival around in my pocket. He said, God was already at work before I got there. It all seemed to start with a widow who was blind and had been praying for the lost. And it was, it's really incredible. If you want to listen to it, I'll, I'll send it to you. But um, he gets there the first day. And the minister who, he was there at his invitation, he says, we want to take you to supper, but on the way, we want to stop at this church where there's people that are gathered and ask you to speak. And so he speaks, and they don't leave to like, when he gets there, it's like 300 people. And, and, and he doesn't leave to like, or tries to leave at 11 o'clock. And he gets to the door to go out, and there's like 600 more people out there. God had been moving upon these people. They were convicted of their sins. And they, they, you, you imagine people being so moved to show up at a church building at 11 o'clock at night? Didn't even know if there'd be anybody there. You know? There was another group of young people that had been in a dance, I think about 100 of them, and, and they went to a constable's office to the police station, in other words, because they knew that man to be a godly man, and they, they, we've got it, we've got it here. What, what can we do? When, when Duncan Campbell came, after the 600 people that were outside, they brought those people inside. He said there were so many people around the pulpit, he could barely get up there to speak. There was one young lady that was laying on the floor saying unto him, is there mercy for me? Is there mercy for me? Can you imagine? I can't move people like that. You can't move people like that. The Spirit of God moves people like that. But what led me to it was there was a young man that stood up in, in, a, in a prayer meeting, and he read Psalm 24. He said, how can we expect God to do anything unless we have clean hands and a pure heart? Who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. It's only by faith in Christ who has fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law that we find ourselves with clean hands and a pure heart. That we find atonement for our sins. That we find ourselves acceptable. You know, there's restaurants that you can't go into unless you have acceptable attire. We went down to Galveston, and there was an old seafood place that my dad had taken me to a number of times. I thought, I'm going to take my kids there. We walked through the door. There was a maitre d'. This place has changed. Do you have a reservation? <laughs> no. I used to come in and sit in the booth right over there, you know, and, and, and eat, you know, fried shrimp and oysters and um, not anymore. You know, it had become 
quite fancy. They, they allowed us to come in, you know. You kind of start to feel privileged a little bit. I mean, you're actually going to let me come in here, you know. Uh, we, we sit down, there's linen, you know, tablecloths. At the end of the meal, they bring out these little dishes, and my kids look at me, and they're like, Dad, what's that? What, what am I supposed to do with that? Are we supposed to drink that? I said, no, it's to wash your fingers off. You know, there's places that we might not have acceptable dress, that we might not have acceptable etiquette uh, to be able to eat even. But Christ has made us acceptable to stand and to dwell in the presence of the true and living God. That's incredible. Those who have a clean, clean hands and a pure heart, verse 5 says, shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. We receive the righteousness of Christ by God, by God's hand. The person who approaches God through repentance and faith in Christ will be declared righteous in the sight of God. This is the generation, it says, of them that seek him, that seek thy face. Not hypocrites, true worshipers who worship God in spirit and in truth, who, who are indeed and absolutely concerned about appearing before God holy, to be holy as he is holy. And when scripture says, be perfect, that they desire to be perfect in the sight of God. And then we come to the end where we have the psalm of ascension. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. The Lord mighty to save. The Lord who gives uttermost. You ever think about that? You ever think about these words sometimes? What kind of salvation do you have? Scripture says you have uttermost salvation. It's complete. There's nothing more to be done. Christ has paid it all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. An uttermost salvation that we're made acceptable, that we're found worthy to come in because he has given his life and become for us a sacrifice. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. He's entered before us. A new and living way, the scripture says. He's made a way for us. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. The king of glory whom we should meditate upon, think upon. The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. The one who has made himself strong on our behalf. This is the one who has entered as our forerunner. This is the one who has entered that we might enter in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. You heard what J.T. read to us in Ezekiel 126. We're talking about the firmament that was over their heads, the likeness of a throne, the appearance of a sapphire stone, and upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man, the God-man, Christ Jesus. 
Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he might by the grace of God taste death for every man. For it became him, Hebrews 2.10 says, for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So it's, it's the triumphal entry into heaven itself where he's made a way for us. Victory over sin, death, and hell. Listen, something similar. Isaiah 26, 2 says this. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. That's us. May enter in. And then you read from John 17 where the Lord says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. There's a song that the Bryants sing when they come at times. I, I forget to ask them before they come so that they will bring it with them. But it talks about a door. So a gate be lifted up, a doorway, you know, your everlasting doors. It talks about a door being hung at Calvary. Yeah. Andrew, we, we hang doors. You know, a lot of places. We've hung, we've hung lots of doors in lots of people's houses. There was a door hung for us as God's people at Calvary. And it hinges, that song says, upon the cross. It hinges upon the cross. Well, then there's that veil that I told you was closed earlier that was rent in two, which separated us from God. And when Christ was crucified, it was, it was torn from the top to the bottom. And a way was made into the holy of holies. That's what the psalmist is telling us about here. Hebrews 6.19 says, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. Hebrews 10.14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. There's clean hands, pure heart. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. There's the righteousness of Christ. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness. There's that boldness again. The throne of grace. Having boldness to enter into the holiest. The holy of holy. The holiest. Having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Isaiah had that vision of the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up his train, robe filling the temple. The angels, think about this, the angels were covering their face. And they were covering their feet. Why? Because they were in the presence of a holy 
God. They covered their face. They were not beholding the face of God. They were covering their face and just crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy. But you and me and the Lord having made a way, you're going to behold the face of God. We shall see him as he is. We'll behold him face to face. This is the righteousness of Christ. What a vision we have here that we will ascend that holy hill, that we will dwell in the presence of the Lord, that we shall behold God and live and live. I mean, God told Moses, you can't see my face and live. But if you're outside of Christ this morning, my words to you are seek the Lord while he may be found and drawn nigh unto him. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way, Isaiah says, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For if you do not repent of your sins, if you do not believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not ascend unto the holy hill. You will not stand in his presence. When the Lord appears on the day of judgment, you will ask for the rocks to fall upon you and hide you from the face of the lamb that sits upon the throne. There's a glory coming. Brother, there's a glory coming. Glory greater than we've seen. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither entered the heart of man. You know, Paul was caught up into the third heaven, saw things unspeakable. There's a glory coming, and what a day it will be when we shall see him. We shall behold his face. We shall look upon our Savior who saved us by his grace. Amen. Enter into? Yes. We're the mercy seat. Yes. Yeah. I'm getting him stirred up. He's going to start preaching again. Go ahead, brother. (laughs) Well, amen.